Hello, this is Amy, and welcome to the I Love Splatter podcast, aka the Splattercast. Today, Adrian and I are going to be talking about Sorority House Massacre, which is a 1986 slasher film written and directed by Carol Frank. Woohoo! <laughs> hey, Adrian. Hi. This this is a little bit of a landmark episode for us. Oh, is it? We are at episode number ten. <gasps> Well, congratulations to us. That's amazing. <laughs> it seems like kind of a big deal. I would think so, yeah. I mean, it doesn't feel like we've... It feels like we've been talking about doing a podcast forever, but mm-hmm. we haven't been doing it forever. So that's actually... Yeah, that's an accomplishment. Yeah. So uh, shout out to everyone who has hung out with us thus far. And yeah. uh, here's the part where we beg you to leave us a review, particularly on Apple Podcast, Please. Please. Please, <laughs> please leave us a review. Okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> and shout out to Heather, our our special guest who has hopped in from time to time. I'm yeah, thinking of her today. Yeah, we miss you, Heather. We can't wait for you to come back. Sorority House Massacre. After a weekend with us, you're gonna want to join this going to start with a little background on this film and its creator carol frank and i say little because there is just not that much out there on uh on ye old internets about either her or the film <laughs> so um here's what alexandra heller nicholas says in her book uh, 1000 women on Ho- in horror about carol frank So little is known about Carol Frank, who worked as an assistant to Amy Holden Jones on the Slumber Party Massacre and Lena Shanklin's Summer Spell. Produced by Roger Corman's Concord Pictures, which had previously produced the Slumber Party Massacre, Frank is credited for both writing and directing the 1986 slasher film Sorority House Massacre. And that's it. That's all I could find (laughs) about Carol Frank on all of the internet. Carol, where are you? Tell us more. Yeah, she's a... I couldn't find a single other thing about her. No interviews, no archived anything. Apparently never wrote or directed another film. Wow. 
Um, and she's listed, uh, as mentioned in the book, as a crew member on the Slumber Party Massacre and Summer Spell. And that's it. Wow. There is so much to wonder about there. Because, I, I mean, making history, directing, writing, a directing movie, not easy, not for the faint of heart. Um, yeah, to just do it once and then disappear. There's more there for sure. I don't know that we'll ever know it, but there's more there. I know. If there's anybody out there listening that knows like anything about Carol Frank, reach out to us because we'd love to know more about what happened to her, where she went, why she only did one movie. Um, I mean, we can speculate. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yes. We know. We know that uh, Hollywood and this genre in particular are not kind to women. Um, but, you know, it would just be like, well, how is she still around? Did she completely change directions? Was it because the movie failed so miserably that she decided not to do anything else? Uh, you know, hopefully it, hopefully it wasn't something awful. Hopefully it was just like, maybe she just decided not to be a director. I don't know. Yeah, it's... Hopefully it's that, honestly. <laughs> Wait, just, Adrian and I were just talking about uh, another movie uh, detailing the horribleness of men. So now we're kind of like, Ugh. yeah. Um, yep. So, yeah, hopefully it wasn't some weird, you know, terrible thing that happened to her and she just decided to move on. But about the film. Um, so this is another 1980s flick that was produced by Roger Corman, like the Slumber Party Massacre movies. Corman most likely had an influence over what ended up on screen, which right. is evident in this one as we see some unnecessary nudity pop up there. Lots of boobs. Right. Lots of boobs in this one. Yeah. Um, this is also another 80s slasher that I did not see when it came out. And I think similar to what I mentioned before in previous episodes, because the cover of this one looked like I, I would not be able to get it past my mom <laughs> as mm -hmm. like a thing I could bring in and watch because... You know, when you used to go to the video store, you would pick up the movie. This is even like pre-blockbuster. Like you just brought the case home with you with the actual title right. art on it. And so I felt like this one has a woman in lingerie is kind of falling off. And, uh, you know, I didn't think my mom would be like, yeah, you can watch that. Um, it's kind of hilarious considering the woman on the cover is not actually in the movie and nothing like what's depicted on the cover ever happens right. in the movie. <laughs> It makes me think of, oh, I cannot think of the name of the movie. De Palma movie. Relax, don't do it. Middle of the Oh, Body movie. Double. Body Double. Yeah the, yeah, the poster makes me think of Body Double. And that is 100% not the kind of movie it is. I mean, no. there's no, like, there's not even any, like, peeping through windows, which is something that's pretty common in, in uh, slashers of the time. Yeah. I think of, uh, um, oh, Slumber Party... Massacre 2 has a, yes. several peeping through the window movie moments, uh, but not here. Nope. Just, I guess they just thought that would sell it. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, this movie, um, although it, it was released in limited theaters, got like a video release like less than a year after that. And so I think it's like definitely one of the movies that was designed for mass consumption and, and pulling a lot of elements from previous slashers. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, she must have been thinking of when she wrote it, but... <laughs> right. But yeah, so we can talk about the plot, of which there is not much. Not and much. 
I actually <laughs> learned more about the plot from Wikipedia and IMDb than I did from the movie itself. So, <laughs> girl, same. Felt that same way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I watched it and I was like, all right, yeah, you know, putting my notes together. And I was like, what the frick happened? I, and I'd said this to you over text, but this is a movie I did not think I had seen. I started it by the time we got to the like, let's, and I, I was watching it with no memory of it. And then we got to the like girls changing into clothes, nudie scene. Um, and then I was like, oh my God, I've seen this. I think I've seen this multiple times actually. And it's, <laughs> it's one of those 80s films, 80s slashers when they were just churning them out. This is no, um, this is not shade to Carol or anyone involved because it's a completely serviceable slasher film but there were a lot of them at that era where yeah they just pass by your eyes and then they're gone there's not a lot that holds it in your memory um and mm -hmm. this is one of those so yeah i've actually seen it a couple times i think before oh okay yeah i i um after watching it i'm sure that i have not seen it uh but mm. i definitely remember seeing that cover so much but yeah i mean I, this is a, like another one of those movies where they don't really clearly name the characters. Like there aren't a lot of introductions. Um, so it was hard for me to like figure out who was who <laughs> and in addition to what was going on. Right. Right. And there, uh, there's not a lot of motivation. Everyone's just mm -hmm. living their life, which is actually a cool idea for a movie, but it doesn't, it's, it's hard to latch on, you know, it's not like, Oh, she's trying to, you know, make amends with her brother or she's trying to get over this tragedy you know they even take that away from the main character we should get into the plot but the main character has experienced a tragedy that she can't remember right and she which doesn't is, know she can't remember like it's hard yeah which is like just a puzzling um situation to set up but carol let, let, let's you know okay <laughs> like so yeah, so we meet Beth uh, waking up in a hospital with another woman who has arrived there uh, asking her what happened. And so, you know, she starts to tell the story about what has just happened to her. So we're sort of starting, you know, she's, Carol is taking the end of the movie and starting, starting from there. So we're going to get an explanation as to why this woman Beth is in the hospital with bandages, which is like the fakiest movie hospital bandages ever. It's just like wrapped around her arm. Like you can't even see any wounds, really. It's just no. It, and it wouldn't. It's not like it's not effectively covering or holding or containing anything. They're just no. <laughs> it's like they just were like, we need some bandages on her, and just like wrapped some gauze around her and put her in a hospital gown. They're like, all right done don't need any yep. makeup or anything like that it's fine yeah um so yeah so beth beth starts explaining uh uh it's you know like it all started with the house so like at this point like you, of course you can infer that it's the sorority house she's referring to but she doesn't even say that um you know saying that it all started with the house and she's been dreaming about the house and so this is, we sort of launch right into a dream sequence, which felt very Nightmare on Elm Street to me. You know, we see these influences, these kids playing out front. They're not quite as creepy as the Elm Street kids, but they're in that realm. 
uh, she goes inside this dream house and she sees like flashes of a knife and she looks up and sees like a big pool of blood on the ceiling, which is, is again, very, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street influence. It seemed that way to me anyway. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. The, all of that feels nightmare. And and that's the, the great parts of the film are those visuals. I yeah, the, the dream visuals are great and they feel, uh, you know, not quite scary, but at least unsettling in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so... Uh, then we sort of get after this dream sequence where we kind of get this supernatural feeling, mm -hmm. of which there is. There's like a supernatural element to this story um, that is never <laughs> clearly explained in any way. No. But it's fine. <laughs> uh, we switch back to Beth, uh, whose aunt, I guess her primary caregiver, has recently died. And so... She's going to stay for the weekend at the sorority house. I couldn't quite. This is another piece of the story. I couldn't quite put together why she was there. Yeah. And no idea. Why she was only staying a weekend if she didn't have any other place to live. I don't know. Anyway, so. Yeah. Um, it's never really explained. She just goes to the sorority house. I think maybe like the house mother, Melanie, is supposed to be like a friend of her aunt's or something. I, I, I just, they just don't, they don't put those pieces together for us. Mm -mm. Um that's so interesting, she, though. I like that. I like that explanation. That yeah, that there's some Melanie's, sort of relationship. Yeah. So, um, because as it turns, as we, as it turns out, like after you get into it, and I, it took me maybe like till the end of the movie to recognize that the woman at the hospital is Melanie, the house mother. <laughs> so, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So Melanie is the woman who who was at the beginning of the film with her, but uh, so she arrives. It's Memorial Day weekend. She arrives at the sorority house to stay the weekend. Um, the house is pretty empty since it's Memorial Day weekend, which I guess is a big leaving college weekend. And uh, just the party girls, Sarah, Linda, and Tracy are left. And again, I did not know their names at this point. I just like had to look them up <laughs> later. And so uh, the house mother, Melanie, uh, is headed off for a long weekend as well. And so the women are going to be alone in the house, which of course means party times. Um, and, you know, from the from the first night of Beth being there, she starts having sort of more intense hallucinations, even in class, which I don't know why this college classroom really felt like a high school <laughs> classroom. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why either. It almost looked like the same classroom from Halloween. And I don't know if that was like by design Mm, or if it mm -hmm. was like literally the same <laughs> classroom they used in Halloween. But I was like, yeah. there's something about this that feels distinctly like a high school and not college. And I couldn't quite put my finger on why that was. But that's weird. We had the same feeling <laughs> because, yeah, I couldn't tell you either. Uh, maybe the desk size or shape. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. There's something. Yeah, it didn't quite fit. It didn't quite fit together. We get we get some glimpses of um, uh, the other woman and their terrible boyfriends, and so like at the at the school, and Beth has this like really intense hallucination in class of like a man covered in blood outside of her window, and this very awkward, very ineffective scene of a knife stabbing upwards through a desk, which. I felt like it looked like they probably tried that maybe like a hundred times and finally got the knife to go through and we're just like, that's it, cut it, yep. print it, we're, <laughs> we're done. And, and that stuff I love because it's endearing, you know, it's like, um, 
it barely works as an effective, you know, scare, quote unquote. But yeah, it's very indicative of the time. It's very indicative of low budgets. And oh yeah, and it's going to be hard to kind of convey that in this, you know, what we're doing here in this episode right. because we, you know. The way the easiest way to talk about a movie is to talk about the plot, and there is almost no plot here. Um, <laughs> yes. So, like, if you want to watch it, the, the watching it, the enjoyment comes from these kind of noticeably, recognizably. Mm, oh, I can't think of the right word. I want to say weak, but I don't want to be critical. Oh. Like, you know, they're, yeah, yeah. They're just, they're just. Yeah, you know, ineffective you know? is a good, I feel, feel like ineffective is a good way because it's like, we're, we're not denying that, that the FX peeps put their heart and soul into oh, this. Oh, absolutely. Know. Absolutely. Uh, we're not denying that Carol Frank worked hard on the screenplay. No. And, and, you know, and also like without having access to the screenplay, who knows how much of that screenplay ended up on screen and how much got cut and how much, you know, she had to trim out. So exactly. We're, we're not saying that like as a director, I think she's technically great. Like there, yeah. there's, especially during the dream sequences, there's a lot there to like. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also like this, the like we mentioned, the weird sort of Corman-esque elements of the boobs just like popping up out of nowhere for no reason, which is of course a hallmark of 80 slashers. Like exactly. we, we can't deny that. That's just what, what it was, you know, people thought that only teen boys went to see movies and if went to see these horror films and if only teen boys went to see horror films then you got them what they want and what they want is nakedness and so you know that's inevitable but uh right so yeah we're not slamming anybody who made this film we're just like no here's the reasons why it didn't work <laughs> but but um yeah so at the same time that beth is having these intense hallucinations we're in inter- well introduced is a loose word here introduced to a mysterious man in some kind of hospital who is also having dreams uh you see him tossing and turning on his little cot bed uh and it turns out this this man has recently emerged out of a vegetative state and so his doctors do some kind of, I don't know, some brainwave tests. I don't really know. They hook him up to like this thing uh, with all these wires um, and measure his intense brainwaves, which have gone crazy and previously weren't going crazy. And then he speaks for the first time since he's been there saying, Laura. So, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I don't even think they tell us his name at this point. I think it's just a guy. No. Yeah, I I don't. I think that's supposed to be the mystery. I don't know. Yeah. Um, So there's that guy. And then back at the house, these party girls, as Adrian previously mentioned, decide to get up to no good by, wait for it, wait for it, eating the house mother's ice cream and trying on her clothes. Scandalous. (laughs) yes scandalous um, they, they also it, like psychos though they're like throwing things or I mean, yeah. yeah they get into it they also break into her impressive bar so i guess there's that uh they make yes. some gin and tonics um and so uh, at this point like they can it's evident to these other girls that beth is a little distressed about having these nightmares and these hallucinations and so they do this 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 clothes trying on montage, which is kind of pure 80s gold. I mean, this is exactly what people think of, I think, when they think of the 80s. 
100%. (laughs) You know, like... They they pull all of these amazing 80s dresses out of this woman Melanie's closet with like the giant shoulder pads and the deep plunge and, you know, get all these crazy hair accessories and mm-hmm. pearls and things. Um, and of course, this is where we see the most boobs because it's a perfect opportunity to reveal that none of these women wear underwear. No, apparently. who needs underwear? It's the 80s. Um, that matching headband. <laughs> Yeah, and then the music sound totally sounds like 80s like stock music and it's such a weird it's like they didn't even adjust the levels so like you can't really yep. hear what the girls are saying while this stock music with like saxophone and stuff is playing <laughs> over this montage. Um and then there's these weird cutaways where they're just like throwing clothing in front of the camera into a pile. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean by like they are doing it like psychos who, yeah, sure, eat people's ice cream, (laughs) drink their alcohol, try on their clothes, be rebellious. But like, why are you just throwing it all on the floor? (laughs) Why are you just like stomping over this woman's clothes? It feels like somebody said you have to have a clothes trying on montage because all 80s movies, all movies of this time have a clothes trying on montage. Mm -hmm. And like Carol Frank or the AD or whoever put this scene together didn't know what that was. And so mm, <laughs> they just a- were like, oh yeah, montage of clothes. Mm, we can do that. Um, right. <laughs> so it, uh, but it does feel like sort of the gloriously, it's just not done in a good way. You know, like Night of the Comet has this amazing clothes right. trying on montage in a mall, right? And they're, they're playing like girls just want to have fun and it like all comes together. But there's something very awkward and weird and low budget about this particular clothes trying on montage. Yeah. And and for that, I kind of love it. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of exploitation that happened in movies like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in a world where that's not happening, which could be the case here, who knows? I'm I'm I love a unnecessary nudity scene. Women are beautiful. Love it. If If everybody's on board with the idea, then it's. 100% the best in my book <laughs> but but you know yeah. at the time that can't always be well even to this day that's not always true you know people are coerced into doing things they're not comfortable with and so mm-hmm, you always mm-hmm. have to approach these moments with like I don't know I don't know I don't know how we got here and how everyone felt but if we got there because everyone was on board and loved it then that's great yeah I will say that it is again as we mentioned frequently, really evident when a woman is behind the camera during these types of scenes versus a man, because there's there's not lingering, you know, like she does Mm -hmm. very quick, quick flashes of, of the boobs. And even like the, I don't know, I I feel like such a fucking nerd saying this, but like, even like the (laughs) angle that she chooses or like the, like the lighting, like everything about the way that the nudity is shot it's just like clearly like a woman is shooting this yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. i I think so too and it's not that the women aren't beautiful or you can't be attracted to them because there's some gorgeous women in that scene but it's just not um it's not salacious it's yeah and salacious it's again like the idea of salaciousness is totally fine but there's not some sort of inherent ownership threateningness to it you know, a mm-hmm. lot of the male yeah, gaze yeah. stuff is like the next step after this gaze is I I can do whatever I want with you. I own you. You're mm-hmm. an object, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Very different here. Fun. 
Yeah. And I guess like we can, um, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but we could tie this even into the killer where the killer is not, it's not a sexually motivated killing. It's not the reason. Right. It's not like Slumber Party Massacre where the reason he's killing these girls is because he's attracted to them, right? Right. Um, it's a whole different reason that's <laughs> also very unclear. But Yes. It's a whole different reason we don't know exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, also during, I also wanted to mention that during this clothing montage scene, they do do a little dance, these three girls, which, uh, I guess we should also point out that like Beth is not participating in this, um, clothing montage. She's just watching, which is maybe an interesting thing to think about that she's like the watcher in this situation. But, um, but they do, uh, uh, what are they? Linda, Tracy, and, uh. Uh, I feel like I wrote it down. Linda, Sarah, Sarah. Sarah. You can't think of it. Linda, Tracy, and Sarah uh, do a little dance that really reminded me of that awkward dance number in Slumber Party Party Massacre 2. (laughs) Yes, I know. They're they're not the same movie, but there's so many similarities. It's wild. Yeah, like they do this sort of coordinated like shoulder shimmy. And I was like, oh, yeah, that totally reminds me of that scene in Slumber Party Massacre 2 where they're doing like a coordinated dance move. Um, that scene, of course, is much longer and much crazier. But I was just like, hmm, interesting. All right. Um, so uh, while this, uh, well, this dance montage and drinking moment is happening, Uh, this mysterious dude breaks out of the hospital and by break out, I mean, he just kind of walks out the door after killing one person because apparently they don't have any guards or locks or other people there at all. It looks completely deserted when he walks. I know. Yep. And that's when, yeah, that's when the reveal happens though, where they show the sign that tells us. It's actually an asylum. Dun, dun, dun. What? Yep. <laughs> so. Uh-oh. He's oh, leaving no. the asylum. Very Michael Myers. Very. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's yes. hitting the beats. It's doing, it's doing the thing. It's hitting the beats. The, uh, the threat is on the way. The threat is on the way. And then. Oh, boy. The men. The men show up. The boys. Yep. Andy, Craig, and John show up. Uh, with a party decor, which we're just gonna skip over describing, except to tell you that it appropriates indigenous culture, and we know yep. better than that now. So we're yep. just gonna skip over that 1986 awfulness. Um, yeah, you can figure it out. You can figure it out. So uh, these boys, uh, after they help set up the party stuff, they adjourn to the living room with the women to tell ghost stories, of course, because what, what else are you going to do? You're going to light like a million candles and sit in front of the fire and tell ghost stories. And so, by the way, <laughs> why is this Andy? Andy is the glasses boyfriend. Why is Andy so into talking about killing kittens? Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> it, I think that I'm overthinking it. But part of me wondered if he was supposed to be a red herring in another draft, right? Because like maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe there was a longer draft where it was more ambiguous. I don't know. Or he because, just really thinks it's funny. I. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's just a horrible dirtbag. 
it's like it's like dead baby jokes when that's like a thing that goes through you know a middle school like it's not funny really but okay we're just trying to be edgy something wrong with that guy i mean he brings up the kitten killing like a couple of times so yeah Yeah, it really did feel like that it felt like when you know kids in your middle school think it's funny to just like or i don't even know if they think it's funny they just want to push people's buttons scare it scare his girlfriend Mm -hmm. i don't remember which one his girlfriend is i think it's sarah I don't know. It's, it's fine. It doesn't It's matter. the curly-haired, dark-haired girl. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all I can tell you. Uh, he also has curly hair, so maybe they were just like, curly people, pair up. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then John, who is clearly, like, there for Beth, because he's not paired up with the, one of the other girls, um, starts telling a story about a teenage boy who used to live in the same house before it became a sorority who killed his parents and sisters one by one, which is why the house is now haunted. And this story greatly unsettles Beth, even though she doesn't know why. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, I can tell you because it's a mixture of the story of like Black Christmas and Mm -hmm. Amityville Horror. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so anyway, the, this story unsettles her, and then she also rem- <laughs> randomly remembers something about a knife being hidden in the fireplace. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That scene, I actually scrubbed back because I was like, why are we here? What's happening? I mean, I got, you know, you kind of already get what the reveal is going to be of mm-hmm. the story, but that I felt like I missed a step between them talking and her being like there's a knife under that <laughs> brick you know yeah something something got lost on the cutting room floor there yeah. i think but um they unearth this knife and so they all kind of start to believe her which you know thankfully we, we've already gotten a hint that linda is studying psychology so she's clearly an expert <laughs> on all of these things and she decides to hypnotize beth which just seems like a great idea um <laughs> into remembering more about why she's so disturbed about this story don't get your hopes up that there isn't much revealed even with the (laughs) hypnotism so (laughs) yeah i don't know uh meanwhile kitten killer glasses boyfriend leaves um because he's late to go to his job selling cookies i yeah (laughs) he's a girl scout maybe i don't know does he work at the mrs fields Maybe he works the Mrs. Fields. Maybe know. that's it. That, 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 honestly, that could be it. Uh, but this scene is also like a little, this is like a very like another place where you can tell it's really low budget because he literally like walks out the door, kisses Sarah goodbye. And as soon as she goes back inside, he kind of just like walks into the killer who stabs him. Like it almost yeah. like walks onto the knife. <laughs> yeah, so. it, it, it feels like a play almost, right? They didn't have enough time to do extra setups or have another kind of, even angle mm-hmm. they just mm-hmm. had to go you know and i think they, they, it's good. they did w- well with what they had but it's really clear it's like we just have to get this shot okay. yeah that's it mm-hmm. um but so we've reached the part of the movie where um some teens have to have sex and get killed and so uh, i think it's tracy and craig go out to the culturally appro- appropriated party decoration and start mm-hmm. to have sex in it uh and 
they, well, one of them gets killed, but it, this is a scene that took forever. And yeah, <laughs> I don't know why it took so long because it wasn't even that it took forever so that you could see boobs for a long time, which right. you do. This is probably like the, the biggest uh, section of the movie where you see nudity, but right. it just took a long like the the killers outside of the uh where they are and um i'm having a really hard time not saying what it is and i just don't want to say what it is but the, he's outside of where right. they are they're naked standing up in this thing sort of crouching it which also i was like there's not enough room in there to have sex i don't no. know what they think they're doing uh they're kind of awkwardly crouching inside and the killer's outside and then there's like there's a lot of screaming and like stabbing but you can't see what's happening and it just seems like it takes a long time and yeah. craig finally gets out and he's totally naked which i think is like another sort of thing that i don't think would have happened if a male was directing this i don't think they would have had the man be totally naked nope you don't really see anything but his butt but it's just an interesting detail he's mm -hmm. pulling uh his girlfriend out and while he's pulling her out the killer just manages to sort of reach out and stab her right in the chest and then she's dead so mm -hmm. <laughs> but it just seemed like that scene went on for way longer <laughs> than it needed to go on I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe at the time, as like a teen, that would have been really tense and terrifying. But, it, you know, from a modern perspective, it's just kind of like, all right, we're just, it, he, these are the beats. Oh, we're adding a few extra beats. We know where this is going. You know, it just, yeah, it just kind of drags a bit. Um, but I do think if I had been 10 when I saw this, I would have been like shaking under my covers when I went home. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. We're, we're down to uh, Linda, Sarah, Craig, and then Beth and John. And Linda, Sarah, and Craig, Craig's the guy who just escaped, um, are sort of in one part of the house, and Beth and John are in another. And Beth and John don't know anything's going on at this point because they've been watching a loud uh, movie with screaming <laughs> on TV. Uh, and they've fallen asleep. And so Linda, Sarah, and Craig are trying to figure out how to get get away from the killer. They try the phone. The phone is dead. They try another phone, and that phone goes dead while they're on it. Um, they yell out to Beth and John, uh, who can't hear them. And then suddenly, the killer appears where Beth and John are and tries to kill Beth, but ends up stabbing John accidentally instead, <laughs> killing him. I liked him. that moment. I liked that moment. That was <laughs> it good. was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now Beth runs, she finds the other three, and they're now trapped inside a bedroom on the second floor. So, the killer's outside. We still don't know who the killer is, what he's doing there, why he's, um, trying to kill anybody at this point. Uh, right. because we know he's been saying Laura, and nobody's named Laura. So, they start throwing things out the window, and then, and then Sarah's like, Oh yeah, we have a fire ladder. Um, and so, <laughs> they, oh yeah, so they put the ladder out, and then there's this like that scene is just kind of dumb where yeah, Craig climbs down the ladder to hold it. He doesn't take a. I'm like, listen, you don't have a weapon. You don't have any kind of weapon. Nothing. <laughs> You're standing with your back to this giant dark yard. Yep. Uh, so obviously what happens is the killer stabs Craig to death 
and then starts climbing up the ladder the same time that Linda is climbing down the ladder. And so <laughs> yep. there's Textbook. this weird struggle and he she gets back inside. He gets up the ladder. They slam the window on his hands and then finally like get him, you know, pushed out where he lands on the lawn and you know he's probably dead no he's obviously obviously not dead yeah so then this and then beth suddenly is like by the way my name is laura (laughs) i screamed and laughed at that moment i was like this is everything because obviously she's supposed to be remembering things she didn't remember before or no but but like she knew her name was laura yeah (laughs) yeah the initials on her suitcase are like lb whatever like Mm -hmm. she knew her name was laura so it's like it's like okay so (laughs) so you've been dreaming about this man trying to kill somebody named laura and you don't know why but then suddenly you reveal your name is laura and beth is your middle name right yeah and like you've kind of alluded to the fact that you're having these dreams Mm -hmm. maybe you don't want to tell people that your name is laura for some reason but you could just you you know that yeah the person <laughs> is trying to kill you or like that's uh, that's the message right like it's yeah. it's funny it's such a weird thing like it just pops out of i don't know she didn't remember it when she was hypnotized she didn't remember it any of these other times that they're talking to her about possible past trauma um where i guess i guess we didn't mention like after the hypnotized thing and after they're trying to like figure out what happened they're basically like, shrug, who knows? You must have heard it somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, or, I love that. Just you really let whatever. that story that that uh, John told get to you. All right. Yep. So let's, as the audience, let's put some pieces together. Because at this point, as an audience member, you've figured it out, right? So right. this man is the teen boy who lived in the house before. And Beth is one of the family that lived in the house with him because that's his sister. And so uh, the reason that Beth remembers this sorority house is because it's the house she lived in before, which is also just such a weird and stupid plot device. I know. <laughs> but it's the house she grew up in. When she was younger, her older teenage brother killed her parents, killed her other sisters, tried to kill her. She got away. Her aunt took her in after her brother was put away in this mental asylum in a vegetative state. And she grew up and just forgot about it, I guess. Just too much trauma. She put it away. She didn't remember. Yeah. And no one thought to tell her or work (laughs) through that. She doesn't need therapy. She doesn't remember. It's fine. Yeah. Let's just let her stumble across this someday. Yeah. This all could have been avoided. This whole movie could have been avoided, really, if uh, the aunt had just talked to the house mother and and said, hey, don't let her come back to this house. Yeah. Um, But also, why? (laughs) This is why this is why, like, something like Halloween makes more sense. Well, Halloween is just a classic, but it makes more sense to me that, like, the Myers house would just be vacant and nobody would ever buy it again because somebody was, like, murdered there. Right. And in this instance, you have an entire family slaughtered in this house. And so they were like, well, we're going to have a hard time selling it. Let's just turn it into a sorority house. The college will buy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because with a, a story like Halloween, you have 
I mean, that is a that's horrifying. I wouldn't necessarily want to live in a house where a freaking child murdered someone, their family member. Um, same with the Amityville thing. Like that is that's really disturbing. Uh, I guess the and, greedy and college happened. didn't care. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. The, the, it doesn't quite work. And <laughs> also, maybe I'm just grew up lower middle class for too many years. But I'm like, how many people live in houses big enough to be a sorority house? I mean, that's got to be a really big house. I don't know. There's a lot that doesn't yeah. make sense. And if this was a giant family, why isn't it better known? Like... Wouldn't yeah, really... why wouldn't everybody yeah. know except John, who sort of has this vague ghost story view of it, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah. Continuing on. Continuing on. Um, so eventually uh, we're, you know, <laughs> Sarah gets picked off and in this kind of weird scene where she trips over another body and uh, gets stabbed to death. And then we just we're just down to Linda and Beth. These are the sole survivors at this point. Um, I was actually impressed that they made some smart decisions. They, you know, <clears throat> Beth remembers that Melanie told her that there was a spare key in the basement, which also doesn't make a lot of sense because a spare key to what? To unlock the house door that locks from the inside, apparently? I don't, yeah. I, I don't know. But anyway... <laughs> The door to the to get out of the house is for some reason locked from the inside. None of this really comes together because they were outside. They go inside. They go down to the basement. But while they're down there, at least, they think to themselves, we need weapons. And I'm like, yes! Yep. And I was hoping for some brilliant scene like in Slumber Party Massacre where uh, somebody grabs a machete, but yeah. that didn't happen. Nope. They grab a shovel and a rake uh, uh, i think it could I can't have, remember. it could have resulted in some iconic fighting still <laughs> yeah. you know a rake is that could be wild but you know budget time yeah. constraint they didn't they didn't have the money for the effects that you would need <laughs> to kill someone with a rake or fight someone with a rake right right so yeah so then we have this uh, this final fight scene uh, finally, we're here. This is only a 75-minute movie, but it feels a little bit longer than that. So um, we're at the final fight scene, and it was just comical because Linda, um, he's this killer whose name whose name I think they mention. I think it's like Robert. Um, this killer yeah. is approaching Beth with the knife, and Linda starts hitting him with the shovel, but it's <laughs> such an ineffective... It just reminded me of those dreams. You ever have these dreams? I have these dreams uh, frequently where somebody's attacking me and I'm like trying to hit them or I'm trying to wound them in some way. And it's just like not like my fist just lands like it's jello or something. Yeah. Like it's just not doing anything. Yep. That's what this. Yeah. Like you're like wailing on your attacker and like, but you realize that it's not having any kind of effect. Yeah. Um. And that's what this scene reminded me of, because Linda is just hitting him with the shovel from all angles, but it's just like softly tapping him. <laughs> like, right, because the reality is it's a real shovel and a real actor. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. So like they just couldn't like make the effect come together. And so as a result, it just looks like she's not really hitting him um, until finally 
she does hit him on the head and there's like a nice solid foley effect and he falls down um so and then they hit him a few more times which i'm like yes great keep keep hitting that guy um so they think he's dead uh, again like of course we know like that at least at this point i was like well there's this supernatural element so maybe he'll be kind of this supernatural killer not quite it doesn't quite come together like that but he does manage to revive himself enough to stab linda in the shoulder and then she dies pretty quickly after that which i was also like but he stabbed her in the shoulder right i know i thought was dead strange choice because like you're not you know you're already doing that shot the shot of being stabbed you could choose any part of the body could move it over yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean maybe I, Lynn- I love that about this though these kind of weird moments where you're like hmm, okay i don't know why you did it but yeah you did it cool so it seems like he does this with his dying breath and then Beth is like just about to get away and then he starts crawling after her and he grabs her and there's a struggle and then, you know, then we we get this Beth gets her final girl moment where um, she's got the weapon and she says, you know, I'm not Laura anymore, you son of a bitch, and stabs him. So apparently this is the moment where she's remembered everything and has decided to triumph, Um, which is great. It's great. Finally, she kills him by, like, stabbing him in the face, in the neck. Um, There's not a lot of blood here, but it's kind of a nice effect. I think it worked. Yeah. And then, yeah, you know, it was cool. (laughs) And the cops... The cops have finally gotten it together and showed up at the house because the doctor has gotten a hold of them and said, oh, he would track his sister to the house where they lived before, which is now a sorority house, and that's probably where she is. But by the time the cops show up, everybody's dead except Beth. But <laughs> I was laughing. I laughed so hard at this because, like, the cops arrive. They open the door, and Beth and uh, the killer are, like, right in front of the door so they kind of have to push them aside when they open the door yes great (laughs) and then the first thing that the cop says he barely looks around and he says i'll alert homicide and i'm like what there might still be some people alive like you yeah urgency y'all should have some urgency here (laughs) you'll radio homicide okay (laughs) um then we get back to beth in the hospital uh you know finishing her story but she also like has another dream at the end there about her brother um calling out her name and trying to attack her and so you know we get the the idea that beth is still traumatized obviously as you would be maybe traumatized anew since you didn't remember anything from before right um, but they never explain the supernatural element. They never explain the psychic link that the two have. Um, they just drop it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just have to just accept it, you know. And there are plenty of movies where that is that is actually it. Just like, hey, you have to figure it out for yourself. This one kind of feels like it rides the line between. between. Like, it, it's not um, so... They, they, I don't know how to say it. You can do a whole kind of like dream sequency, like this person is having a psychic connection 
and never explain it if it's really specific. This kind of rides the line in between. It feels like it needed either explanation or a little more um, detail in the dream sequences so that you didn't need explanation. But, you know, ultimately, yeah. still fun. Those are the best parts of the movie. Beautiful images. Carol really, really, um, yeah, she really nailed those sequences. Yeah, and I felt like... Yeah, <laughs> I felt like Beth, you know, was a likable character. I mean, she's she's not like fully fleshed out, but she's likable. You know, you want her you want her to survive, even though you're annoyed that <laughs> you can't remember what happened to her. Yeah, um, there's actually yeah, there's, I forgot about this. Like she's uh, when she's remembering, you know, and they're they're trying to be like, what happened to you when you were five? And she says, do you remember anything that happened to you when you were five? And I was like. Yeah, I remember a lot of things that happened to me when right, I was five. Yeah. But I would specifically remember if somebody tried to kill me. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it would kind so. of define everything. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. And her big uh, scar on her arm, we, we didn't really, I don't think we oh, mentioned yeah. that. She has a scar on her arm. Um, yeah, that also, I, I'm sorry to pull this all the way back, but in, in, <laughs> in reference to remembering nearly being killed, um, at one point, you know, her friend comes into the room to ask if, uh, if Beth has a sweater that goes with her outfit. And she looks at the scar on her arm and is like, what happened there? And I actually blew my mind because I was like, hello, commenting on someone else's body. Not cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then also to not remember and to never have asked or to have asked why, how do I have this scar and be told, like, don't worry about it. Whatever option <laughs> yeah. is there, none of it's good. This is on the aunt, right? Yeah, like if Beth couldn't remember if she had like a, some kind of psychological block, then why wouldn't the aunt have told her like what happened? I don't know. Especially because you could tell kind of a sanitized version of what happened to help her like mm -hmm. comprehend it and cope with it. But no, 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 no. We'll just cover it up and not talk about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this isn't... Uh... You know, again, bringing it back to Halloween, which is obviously a, another big influence on this movie. But like, well, first of all, like, you know, everybody who's a fan of Halloween knows that he was not originally Laurie's brother until Halloween 2 when they sort of wrote that in. But also, like, it's just, you know, it's not like in Halloween where Michael Myers breaks out and they don't really know where he went and they sort of know, but like, no, you know the local police don't really believe Donald Pleasance and so they're like staking at his house and stuff. This is just like, this all could have been avoided. Like they knew, <laughs> the doctors mm -hmm. knew what this guy did. They didn't take any kind of measures to secure him in this asylum. Uh, the aunt right. never told her what happened. They never considered that he might try to find, I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> right? you know. Yeah. A lot of people knew that she survived this, and a lot of people knew that she still lived in the same town, and a lot of people knew that her brother was in this asylum. So it feels like people could have put the pieces together and avoided all of these kids dying. Yes. Sorority house massacre. This could have been an email. <laughs> ah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's, but, it's fun, though, and it's short, yeah. and I love a short movie. Uh, you know, it's very of its time. Yeah, it's it's um, it's um never going to be a classic. Uh, it's never going to be no. 
one that people return to over and over. I, I do, I know, I know that has kind of a cult status. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that that's just like a lot of 80s movies have the cult status because, you know, this is the era of the slasher and the era of VHS. And so I get it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, you know, uh, of course, of interest to us because when written and directed by a woman and... Um, we want to elevate these voices, but yeah, it's, um, it's got a lot of problems, <laughs> so, yeah. but you know, yeah, but ultimately, like, I'm not mad that we, that I watched no. it. I'm not mad that I spent the time to watch it. It's worthy. Carol, it's worth, it's worth a watch. It is. And Carol, wherever you are, whatever you chose to do, yeah. like, you're a badass, you made a movie. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's a slasher in the 80s, um, that is maybe not as robust as some of the greats. That's nothing against the work she did, though. You know, she delivered yeah. a Corman slasher. Bam. Nailed yeah, it's it. way, it's it's almost like the story of what happened to her is of more interest to me than this film. But yeah. like, yeah. but yeah, what is, ooh, where are you? What happened? Yeah. Why can I not find any info on you? Um, it's amazing to me. You know, that's a, that's the thing about like having the internet and having all of this info at your fingertips. When when you can't find info on something, it's like very frustrating because, mm-hmm. um, and very puzzling because like oh, there has to be something, there had to be yeah. some kind of interview somewhere when this movie was coming out. There had to be somebody, some scholar that knows about like nothing and like even like in the you know Alexandra's book, like she says like little is known about her and like i know that this woman did her research so like right beyond the internet so like if she couldn't find info on her then i don't have faith that anybody could find info on her you know yeah i wonder i speculate you know roger was is was famous for just being like make it work what what are you doing can you do this thing do it right like Mm -hmm, part of me mm -hmm. wonders if she never actually had much interest in directing a film or writing one or whatever part of it was you know she could have just done it because she's like yeah i work for you sure i I can do it totally which makes would make it even more impressive because it's it's a competently made film even if it's kind of loose on (laughs) story story. plot threads (laughs) introducing characters Yeah. yeah exactly i hope someone yeah i hope someone hears this that knows her and lets us know more I'd yeah. Like no more. Definitely. Uh, I might try a few other um, ways of searching around for stuff, but yeah, so so weird, so crazy. Anyway, that was our tenth episode. Yay! We did it. Um, and again, we didn't have to say our catchphrase. Yeah. Fuck. But we could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Three, two, one. Fuck the fuck patriarchy. The patriarchy. Um, which you know we could say this because it's a uh, um, you know male perpetrated violence on not just females on like everybody, but um, you know it, it it was I guess it's sometimes it's nice just it's like where it's not like the boyfriends were totally terrible or like just super talking about sex all the time. They were just sort of normal college dudes yeah Yeah. um so there wasn't anything about like the story or the characters that made me be like ugh, again yeah Yeah. (laughs) so that's great that was nice refreshing yeah Yeah. 
Ah, so refreshing when we can forget it, not forget about it, but just not think about it for five minutes. But yes. Yeah. Or 75. 75 minutes. <laughs> yep. All right. Yay. We did it. Check it out. Check it out. It's not a perfect movie. There's some stuff in there that's very of its time and not appropriate mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. But y'all mm-hmm. are adults. You'll know. And yeah. I don't know who Carol Frank is, but watch her movie. Celebrate her. I don't yes. know where she went. She deserves some celebration yep okay bye bye hey friends this is amy thanks so much for listening to the splatter cast I always like to tell you how much we really, really appreciate it. Um, please join us next time as Adrian and I talk about The Bye Bye Man, directed by Stacy Title. Um, we look forward to talking all about how you shouldn't say it or think it.